0: Well, hey, everybody, welcome to Talk About the Afterlife some more. Yeah, welcome to you. those of you watching online as well. Uh, man, I'm excited about today. We're just talking about a little topic, something, you know, no pressure. It's just called heaven. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, about four and a half years ago, when we moved here, uh, before we left Central Valley, California, uh, we told our family and friends, hey, you have a perpetual invitation to come visit anytime you want. And we've just been blessed over the last four years or so. We've had numerous people uh, come visit. Some of those were Plan far in advance, and you know we were looking forward to them. And uh, sometimes uh, they were spontaneous, like "Hey, we're coming through town," or "I have something I've got to do out in your area. We'd love to stop by and visit." And and, and we love getting those calls because uh, it just puts this anticipation in in our heart and in our home. And so uh, we start cleaning the home. You know how you know you know the drill. You know cleaning the home, and we're, we start to prep the accommodations. And so we you know it's nice. We wash everything. That's probably good to do, right? You know, so we wash stuff, clean stuff, get it all uncluttered. And we, you know, we stock up the bathroom, and we we, 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 go shopping and stock up the house with some food, and we buy little treats to put out. You know, my wife's good about like doing little cutesy things. You know, I'm like whatever, you know. Um, and so, you know, we do all that, and then uh, so, so we make sure the accommodations are just perfect, and then we're like, they've never been here, so. Let's show them some of the fun, cool, unique things that Cleveland has. And so we map out some experiences depending on how long they're going to stay. And so, um, there's times when, you know, we kind of have some places we love to take them. So inevitably, you know, we go downtown and we drive around and we show them the impressive hospitals and the the artistic vibe of University Circle. And we drive by the sports complexes and we got to go to the West Side Market and, you know, eat some cool food and just hang out there for a little bit. And sometimes we'll go down to Amish country, you know, and take that in and they've never seen a buggy before, you know, or, um, or maybe we'll go out to Lakeside, or maybe even Cedar Point, or maybe we'll go to Chagrin Falls, or drive through Shaker Heights, and we we just kind of show them, you know, the area that's fun. And so we make sure the accommodations are good, we got some fun experiences planned for them, but the best part, just the best part of having company, is just spending time with them, right? It's just those late nights, you know, the nights you're like, I really should go to bed, but there's no way, you know? And so you're you're talking to the wee hours of the morning, and and until you collapse, you know, and just just being together. And uh, the thing is, is Maybe they had an idea what Cleveland was like or what our life was like here. Maybe they didn't. But once they're here, they get to experience it up close and personal. And so maybe it's the same way for you when you go visit family and friends somewhere or maybe when they come and visit you here. Maybe it's very similar. But here's what I do know. When when we take that time to prep the accommodations to make sure it's just right, we take that time to build in some cool experiences to, to make sure that they get to have some fun and see and experience new things. And we, and we just long and anticipate um, the joyful arrival of people that are near and dear to our hearts. I think that's a foretaste. I think that's a microcosm. I think that's an appetizer that God wants us to see with heaven. Because as we talk about heaven, which is like, come on. I mean, whatever we say today, whatever we do, it's just going to feel so inadequate <laughs> to talk about such an amazing place and, and, and such a deep theology, rich theology. But, but, but the bottom line is, here's, here's God. He's, he's prepped the accommodations. He's you been know, working on the accommodations for us. He's, he's got some experiences for us that we have no idea what they're going to be like. And even though we might get an idea here, we really have no idea until we're there. And then be, best yet, We just get to spend time with our maker. We get to spend time with our master. We get to spend time with our savior. And I think that's exactly what God wants us to long for. And when I think about heaven, and and, and really this is the big idea that I'd love us to just really rally around today. I think when we think about heaven, we're talking about a home for the future. But we're also talking about a hope for today. Because as, t- as we started this series last week, we said, look, your view of the afterlife, your view of what's next isn't just something for then, but it determines a lot about how you live now, right? Like what you believe happens after this life, like what you believe happens to your soul, the souls of the people around you that you know and love, that would determine your values, your actions, your beliefs on everything in this life, your resources, your time, your relationships, everything. And so when we start to think about heaven, we have to rally our hearts on this understanding. It's a, it's a home for tomorrow for the future, but it's also a hope For today, because we need hope in today. And so uh, I found a verse I think just captures these concepts well. As we've talked about uh, this afterlife series, we said there's a a lot of views out there. Every major religious systems have some sort of view of an afterlife in heaven, whether it's a a euphoria, whether it's some sort of like you get absorbed back into the cosmos of the God force thing, or whether it's enlightenment, or you know, freedom from karma and reincarnation, or whether it's a place of paradise. Like most religious systems have some sort of view of heaven. Ironically, almost all those systems heavily depend on yourself to get there. Whereas when you study God's word, we can't do anything to get there. It's all the work of God. It's all what he's done and that we have to respond to rather than us try to do more, try harder, make something happen. And so our authority as we talk about the afterlife is coming from the one who knows the most about it, so in God's word. So we're diving into the Bible and we said specifically to narrow it down, let's just look at some places where Jesus touches on the afterlife and speaks to the afterlife. So with that being said, I invite you right now to open your Bibles to the book of John. Open up to the book of John, chapter 14. And so open up your Bibles or fire up your Bible apps to John chapter 14. And if you're here today, you're a guest, again, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, if you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it. The verses will be on the screen. But if you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one as a gift. So just stop by our info center on the way out and grab one. But let's look at what Jesus says and just. Six verses about heaven, and we'll launch from there to talk about it. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. The words of Jesus, God in the flesh. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Would you pray with me, please? God, we have your word unfolded. God, we come hungry spiritually. Our hearts are hungry. Our minds are hungry. Our souls are hungry. And God, uh, any length of time that we use right now talking about heaven just feels like a drop in an eternal bucket. (laughs) I don't even know how to wrap um, such a vast concept up in such a brief time. But Lord, would you expand? Would you help us to understand? Would you plant a deeper awareness and understanding of heaven in our hearts today. God, thank you. Thank you that you've given us this hope of this future home. I thank you that it gives us hope for what lies ahead, but also hope to deal with what happens now and today. So, Lord, help us to understand that. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher? We've come as uh, eager learners, eager students. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. So... Heaven is a home for the future and a hope for the present. Let's start with this home for the future concept. This is standard heaven speak. We know that heaven is an opportunity for people uh, to go after we die here. That's the standard operating procedure for understanding heaven. Now, we'll unpack in a little bit how you can know for sure if you're going to heaven because it's not a default destination. It's not an automatic. It's not just for good people. There's some specifics we need to understand about how we get there, who, who the your is and your going. So we'll get there in a minute, but let's just kind of wrap our mind a little bit around heaven for a few minutes. And here's the, here's the thing. What can we know about heaven? Well, the obvious answer is not everything. <laughs> and, and so God, in one sense, has not hidden all the details from heaven. But at the same time, he's not unveiled all the details about heaven. So God has given us two gifts, in a sense, with heaven. He's given us some awareness and understanding, but he's also given us mystery. I am going to tell you some. I'm going to tell you a little bit. I want to give you a little glimpse, but yet I'm going to hide a lot from you because it's going to blow your mind, you know? And so he's given us those two gifts of awareness, but also mystery when we think about heaven. And uh, one day, just like when our friends come to Cleveland and they may, you know, they can Google, they can search, they can, they can learn all about the Cleveland they want, but until they're here and they get to experience it, see it, touch it, feel it, smell it, you know, they really don't get it. So in the same way, man, we, we, can, we can research and we can study and learn all we can about heaven, but until we're really there, we're never really going to get it. So we have to be satisfied with just getting it to a point. That God has revealed to us. Well, let's start with John 14 two. I think this is a great starting place. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that i go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, this is huge. This is the place where God dwells. When you study the Bible, when you look at the word heaven, in the Bible. You'll see it will reference three different understandings depending on the context. The first one is sometimes the sky, the atmosphere, where the birds fly, There's a reference to heaven. God made the heaven. He created the heaven, okay? Also, a lot of times, uh, references will be the heavens, as in the heavenly, stars, space, constellations, universe. God made all the stars in the heavens, all right? So that's another, uh, you know, time we see the word heaven used. And then there's heaven, like all caps, underlying, bold, italic, heaven, which is the abode of God. This is where God dwells. And so obviously, this is the heaven Jesus is talking about when he says, my Father's house. Um, there's a lot of different terms. There's a handful of euphemisms that the Bible uses for heaven. The Bible doesn't always just say heaven. There's other terms that kind of paint these little nuances of understandings of heaven. Uh, Some of the ones that we find in Scripture are terms like this. Like we saw last week with uh, Lazarus dying, Abraham's side. You know, this is where where Abraham, the founder of the Hebrew nation, uh, is residing as a faithful man of God. It's Abraham's side. We see terms like the true tabernacle, God's temple, God's sanctuary, God's courts, paradise, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the eternal kingdom, eternal life, and the eternal inheritance. These are some of the terms that we see reference heaven. But this is one of them that Jesus used, uh, my father's house. And the thing he says here about my father's house is that it has many rooms. Here's what we typically do when we read the Bible. We look at the Bible and we impose our human imagery into uh, the verbiage that we see in the Bible. So if we were to do that in this case, my father's house has many rooms, we go, okay, I can envision that. Heaven's like a giant apartment complex (laughs) with lots of rooms, okay? And and, and if we do that, quite honestly, that's not very appealing. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like heaven is just this endless amount of little cubicles for us all to live in forever. Great, sign me up. And so is that really what God means? Sometimes this word rooms is translated mansions. Sometimes we go to the other extreme, that instead of having me in this little like apartment that we're in with our name on it, you know, I'm room 1,464, come on over. Um, instead, we go over here where God is going to build me this monster mansion. And then our mind starts to generate the most amazing, creative mansion possible. We have songs about it. We have you know people who talk about I have a mansion in heaven. The problem is that's still taking human imagery and trying to superimpose it into the verbiage of scripture. Because cause that's, that's not really what's trying to be captured here in this concept that in my father's house is many rooms. When we've had company say that they're going to come over, or if you've had family and friends that say they might come by, uh, we've had times so they've offered to stay in hotels. Like, why would you do that? We have plenty of space for you. We have lots of room for you. Now, maybe it's a little room, or maybe it's like, you know, pop-ups everywhere, whatever, but we have room for you. So part of the concept of in my father's house are many rooms is the concept there is tons of space. There's lots of room for you. And on top of that, then you start to dig into the cultural constructs. And you start to realize that a, a common practice at this time, and the Bible was written, um, was that uh, the, as the families grew, a lot of times the father would just build onto his house. Now, I know in our Western culture, American view, we're like, ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Go live with mom and dad forever. Some of you are like, that's actually a really affordable idea. I like that. But... Um, so, so you know, my daughters are getting married, my sons are getting married, and they're having kids. And what would happen is just because of the cultural dynamic is the father would just build onto his house, making room for all the new family members. And it allowed for just a really knit family, it allowed for that dynamic of connectedness to take place. And so when God says, in my father's house are many rooms, what he's really saying there is there's tons of space for you, and he's building on to make room for all the new families so we can be connected we can be close, so that we're going to be in this close, connected dynamic with the Father. It's really what's being conveyed there. That's far better than like apartment number million and whatever, you know? And so that's really the understanding, and that, that's a home of the future I can get excited about, and that gives me hope for today. We also see Jesus say this in John 14, 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be Also, Jesus has been preparing heaven for the arrival of God's children. So if you are in Christ today, we're saying here is Jesus has been preparing a place for you. And it probably makes whatever we do to prepare for guests look microscopic, right? I remember years ago as a a new follower of Christ, uh, I heard it put this way and it just stuck with me. They said, you know what? God created everything that you see and know right now in the beauty of earth in six days. He's been working on heaven for thousands of years. I'm going, oh, I can't wait to see, because I'm blown away by what we have around us. I love going and seeing just fascinating, amazing places on earth. Heaven's going to be unreal. He's been preparing this place for us. So what's it going to look like? What's it going to look like? What's heaven going to look like? I think there's one verse This summarizes the best. And I want to take you there. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Some of you are about to be a little bit disappointed because you want details, and you're not going to like this. The rest of you, you're going to be with me and just go, it is what it is. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says this. But as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, and this is the best part, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It's so a little short on details, but it summarizes the best. Basically this, we have really good imaginations. I mean, look at the movies we can make now. With computer animations and graphics, we can create these fanciful worlds that look real and they're just grandiose and opulent and lavish. And God's saying, your eye has never seen what I've made for you. Your ear, that's a sensory, right? Sometimes we think of heaven as just this one dimensional. Your ear has never heard. Like, you've never heard a description or maybe even the sound. You've never even heard your mind. Like, our imaginations, whatever they conjure up, are utterly inadequate. God is saying, the best you can do makes me giggle. (laughs) Because you have no idea what I've made for you. Now look at that understanding of going, I know what I do for my guests, and you know, what kind of preparations I do, and I, and I think about the fun experiences, and I can't, wait to, I can't wait to show them certain things, and I can't wait to be with them. I'm going, that's how the Father feels about us? Man, I've, I've I got all the accommodations set up really nice. I've put out some fun treats for you. I've got some experiences that are going to blow your mind, and I just get to be with you, and you get to be with me. This is really our understanding of heaven. As vague as that can be and as dissatisfying as it can be, it's also something that gives us great hope and great joy. Now, what I think is understanding. Uh, We need to understand because when we typically think of heaven, uh, let's let's just get this on the table now. There's no biblical support for some of the images that are conjured up. All right, Um, Floating on a cloud with halo wings and a harp forever. Again, if that's really heaven, it's no wonder some people are like, I'm not sure I want to go there. Maybe hell does sound more fun after all, you know? Like, like this is not biblical imagery. We're not going to be chubby little cherubs with harps on clouds strumming and singing songs indefinitely forever. All right? Nor are we going to be disembodied spirits, you know, woo, you know, all, you know, trying to, you know, you know, being blown around the universe and stuff like that. When you look at the descriptions we do see in heaven, when you do study heaven, what you see, it's going to be a multi-dimensional, multi-sensory, real, tangible, physical, spiritual, emotional, mental experience all around. The reason some of you aren't that excited about heaven is because you've bought into limited imagery that has no biblical basis. You haven't taken the word of God like a sponge and wrung it out and go, oh, that's a little bit we get about heaven, but it's amazing. Now there is one place, there's one spot that God does give us the best glimpse. He says, okay, I'm not going to keep it all in the dark. I'll give you a little bit of a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. And that's found in Revelation chapter 21. Those of you who've studied the Bible have studied that. And, and you're doing the same thing last service. Did I, I heard I said Revelation 21 and people are like, where? Where's this description? You know, where's this description? And we don't have time to read it, but here's a little bit of a summary, and you can go back and read Revelation 21 later. Um, But Revelation 21 describes heaven with some of the following details. It's new, it's real, it's brilliant, it's beautiful. God and man dwell together. There's this constant presence of God. There's new understanding, new experiences, there's new existence, there's a new universe. All thirst will be quenched. And there's an intimate, intense father-child connection with God the Father, and there's a presence of joy and security. Also, heaven's going to be absent of some things. There's going to be the absence of sin and evil. There's going to be nothing to hurt you, nothing unclean, no curse, uh, no suffering, no sadness, no grief, no crying, no pain, no tears, no more death. And uh, I was thinking about this, with, with when we have family and friends that we go visit, or come visit us, you know one of the worst parts is saying goodbye. Well, there are some family members that are an exception. But other than that... For the most part, like, if we have good friends come visit, oh, it's like, ah, you got to get on the plane. I hate that. Or, you know, we're driving to the airport. When we go visit, it's like, I hate saying goodbye. Heaven, no more goodbyes. No more goodbyes. No, 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 none of that pain, that heart-wrenching goodbye, that's not going to be there when we look at heaven. In fact, uh, this is a mind blower. There'll be no artificial light. Like, you'll never have God say, hey, I need you to go get a light bulb out of the pantry because that light blew out. There'll be no artificial light. There'll be even no need for the sun or moon. You know why? God's glory will illuminate heaven. Not only will God's glory illuminate heaven, God's glory is going to illuminate earth. Like, that's how bright. Like, the Bible says that God dwells in unapproachable light. You don't have shades good enough to block the light. His glory is going to illuminate everything. And we're going to bask in his presence in a relational context with the accommodations he's set up, with the experiences he's got waiting for us in this relationship. The best part is just being with him. I, heard a, I read a story this last week of a, of a very elderly man who was ill and dying. And he went to talk to his doctor. And as he was talking to his doctor, he said, what do you think heaven's going to be like, Doc? And right at that time, uh, the doctor's dog had followed him to the office and was scratching at the door on the outside trying to get in. And without skipping a beat, the doctor looked at him and said, my dog's on the other side of this door. He really has no idea what's on the inside. All he knows is he just wants to be where his master is. That, That really should be our ultimate desire for heaven. Like, like we talk about, like, okay, are my family members going to be there? Am I, going, you know, what's my body going to be like? And you know, how, you know, how old am I going to be? And you know, all these kinds of things. Like, and those are good, and I think fun to explore. But what really should trump heaven, our understanding of heaven above all things, is that we don't really know what's on the other side of the door of death. We just know that there's something there, and we're just trying to get in because what matters most to us is we just get to be with our master. We just get to be with our maker. We just get to be with our savior. That alone, like, like if you are counting on something else being more glorious in heaven than that, you've got the bar set too low. Being in the presence of the one who made you and loves you is the most amazing part about heaven. And, and let's just get this straight. There'll be zero disappointment in heaven. Like, you're not going to show up and be like, oh, I thought, I thought this was going to be here, you know? There's not going to be any disappointment. Zero. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. This is the little bit that God has given us. You know what? That's my future home. That's my future home. Man, does that give me hope for today. Like, life's going to throw me some cruddy stuff. Life's going to throw you, has been throwing you, some cruddy stuff. When you think about your future home and what waits for you, it gives you hope to just navigate that cruddy stuff today that's coming your way. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I tell you I was going to go and prepare a place for you? And if I prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back. I'm going to take you to be where I am. Now, does that mean that Jesus comes back for every person that dies? You know, we hear these near-death experience stories about angels coming or Jesus coming. You know, he could But what we understand this verse to talk about, when Jesus says, I'm coming back, it's referring to the second coming of Christ. And for the sake of those who may not know, or just a review for those who may, we understand God's narrative that He made everything perfect, it broke through sin and rebellion. We live in sin. We have sin in our life. Our sin is a barrier between us and God. And what happened is God says, You can't fix it, I will. So God comes down in the flesh. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, lives a miraculous life, doing all sorts of things that no one can do to prove that He's God in the flesh. He voluntarily, on mission, goes to the cross to die for all of our sin that's the barrier. His death on the cross pays for our sin, helps eradicate the eternal consequences of our sin so we don't have to go to the other place we'll be talking about next week, okay? And he rose from the grave three days later to prove that he's God and that he has the power to forgive sins and squash death. And then he ascended into heaven after 40 days of appearing to people and showing that he was alive. And the last thing he said was, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And so so it's so important to understand that when he says, I'm coming back to get you, he's talking about his second coming. Now, what about those near-death experiences? I'll blog on that this week. Check, check our social media, check our website midweek, and I'll do a blog on near-death experiences because when we start talking about the afterlife, that's the talk that t- rises to the most, um, activity. And so I'll, I'll give you some insights and some resources to look at midweek on near-death experiences. But for now, let's talk about this home that gives us hope. Now, with that, we need to understand something else about heaven that's so critical. When we think about heaven sometimes we think about it entirely as this otherworldly concept. It's just, it's just out there. We know it is. You know, that, that's where it is as far as, like, out there. But um, where, what's it going to be like, and, and, and what's going to happen as far as the timeline? Now, uh, when we die, there's basically two dominant views in, from a biblical perspective. One is soul sleep. One is that uh, when we die, we enter into the state of sleep, and then at the resurrection, we awake. And, it, and we, won't know, we won't feel like we're sleeping. It'll feel like that. And so that's one view called soul sleep. There's another view um, that is basically called the intermediate state. The intermediate state is when we die, we're immediately in the presence of God. Now, here's what it looks like as far as visually. I just want to kind of capture this: is that there's death, and then right after death, this is the traditional view. Right after death is basically this intermediate state of Hades or Paradise. It's it's a temporary heaven and a temporary hell, if you will. Okay? And that will immediately go there. And then after the second coming of Christ, there'll be a final judgment where we're resurrected at the final judgment. And then after that judgment, we go into the forever heaven or the forever hell, the eternal heaven or the eternal hell. Okay? That's the traditional view. Now, reminder, in two weeks, we're doing a panel. And in that panel, uh, the first question we're going to tackle is soul sleep versus immediate state. And uh, we're going to give you both contrast and explain from scripture uh, which view may be stronger um, or even compare the views. And so that, that's an understanding of of that but here's the thing this this eternal heaven or eternal uh, sorry the eternal heaven we'll talk about eternal hell next week the eternal heaven what's the best understanding of that well the best understanding is something that god says he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth like it's so easy for us to draw be drawn into a, a thinking that heaven is out there and we'll go there and that's it but when you read scripture that's not a biblical understanding Let's look at something Isaiah said. The prophet Isaiah said this in chapter 65, 17 of the book of Isaiah. He said, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Like God isn't just going to eradicate the earth and be done with it. He is going to restore it and heal it back to perfection, and then he is going to come down with the new city, Jerusalem, and the dwelling of God and the dwelling of man will be together. He wants to use the earth. He wants to remake it. I love what uh, pastor and author Tim Keller says about this. He wrote a book called The Reason for God, which, by the way, if you're a skeptic or um, you know someone who's a skeptic and just wrestling with genuine questions, this is a great book to read called The Reason for God. And in that book, this is how uh, Pastor Tim Keller describes this understanding. I just had to capture this because he did it so well. He said, how then will the story of human history end? At the end of the final book of the Bible, we see the very opposite of what other religions predict. We do not see the illusion of the world melt away, nor do we see spiritual souls escaping the physical world into heaven. Rather, we see heaven descending into our world to unite with it and purify it of all its brokenness and imperfection. This as a new garden of Eden, in which there is again absolute harmony of humanity, With nature and the end of injury and disease and death, along with the end of all racial animosity and war, there will be no more poor, slaves, criminals, brokenhearted mourners. Creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. The whole world will be healed as it is drawn to the fullness of God's glory. That's a biblical understanding of the new heavens and the new earth and what waits for us as our future home. And that's something to be excited about, and it's something that gives us hope today. This understanding of heaven is power for hope. Like, even how we saw Jesus give it here reveals the nature of its hopefulness. I just want to visit this for a second, because we need to understand the historical context of John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, we've seen that Jesus has walked for three years with these disciples, They've seen him do miracles and healings. They've heard his teaching. They know he's God in the flesh. Uh, They've heard peculiar things from him, and they don't fully understand. And now he's in the upper room. It's the last conversation you have with all these men together before he dies. And he starts to say more peculiar things and starts to do more peculiar things. It's almost like at at the mealtime, they're all hanging out, having a great time, and Jesus goes, all right, here's the deal. Uh, this chapter's closing. Uh, scripture's going to be fulfilled. I'm going to be glorified. Uh, I want you to take this bread, drink this cup. It's my new blood. It's a new covenant. And here's a new commandment that I give you to love one another like I loved you. Um, oh, by the way, one of you's going to betray me. Oh, yeah, Peter, you're the rock, whatever. You're going to deny me. And uh, on top of that, I'm going to leave everybody, and you can't come where I'm going. And can you imagine, like, all of a sudden, like, instant quiet can drop a needle and hear it, you know, the jaws on the table, just going, what is he talking about? And then, of course, our buddy Thomas, the realist, right, the analytical, "Um, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. (laughs) We don't know where you're going. How can we get there? We don't know the way. And maybe it was a setup. Maybe Jesus was invoking the question because then we look at what he said to him in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When they were in the midst of troubled hearts, and they were sitting there trying to digest what Jesus was saying. Their hearts were troubled. They were unsettled because Jesus is talking about you know, people betraying and dying and, and, you know, and, and denying him. And, all, and he's going somewhere and leaving them, and they can't come. Like what? Well, this is so different. And their hearts are troubled. All of a sudden he goes, What does verse one say? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. And so in the moment of trouble, he gives them the hope of heaven. Can't we relate to that? Like what trouble do you have going on right now? <laughs> because you all have some, some a little bit, some very big. You're going to have trouble coming down the road. You know that. Sorry to bust your bubble. but trouble's coming. We don't know. You know we live in a fallen world. It's not going to go perfect for us as you're troubled about jobs, relationships, health, whatever it is, can you hear Jesus just saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be intimidated by the stuff that's going on in your life. Don't be threatened by what's going to happen to you in this world. And you got to trust in God and trust in me. And you notice, he's not talking about a vague, like, oh, just believe in a God, you know. He's getting very specific. This is an imperative. Trust in God and trust in me. We have to trust how God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself through Jesus Christ. You've got to trust in me. And so this kind of takes us into that, who goes to heaven? How do you get there? Because it's not a default destination. It's not an automatic for everybody. Even in this little bit that Jesus said right here, we clearly see the answer to that question. You've got to not just believe in God, but you've got to believe in how he's revealed himself through Jesus Christ. And not only that, we're talking about how do I get to this home that you're talking about? How do I get to this state? How do I get to this experience? How do I get to be with the one who made me? What's the way there? Can I enter into my GPS? Can someone draw me a map? Like, how do you get there? And Jesus said then, and these words echo until Jesus comes back. He says this, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you've got to Imprint this on your mind so it never leaves. Nobody comes to the Father. Translated, nobody goes to heaven apart from me. And instantly, some of us in our our spirit go, are you telling me that Jesus is the exclusive way? There's no other way to heaven? Jesus either lost his mind or he was lying or he's telling the truth. You don't have any other options. And he was speaking truth. He said, I'm the only way. And that's when we just need to stand up and lift up our hands and go, thank God he provided a way. Because he didn't have to. And so if there's one way, so be it. I want that way. <laughs> I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's what Jesus was saying and how we get to heaven. And this is why what you believe determines not just, not just the future, whether you're going to get to heaven, but this life. Because if I believe that Jesus is the only way, then A, if I'm not in a relationship with Jesus, if I really want to make sure I understand eternity and I'm eternally secure, I better get in relationship with Jesus. And if I'm in relationship with Jesus, but I've got family and friends and loved ones and neighbors and strangers and coworkers and all that stuff that don't know Jesus, then I'm going to want them to hear what Jesus said. I can't force belief upon them, nor is it my role to do so. I'm just the mailman. I just deliver the mail. (laughs) I just pass on the message. Because here's the reality. God has prepared this amazing home. God has prepared these amazing experiences. God wants to spend forever with you, and he's given you an invitation. And you have to RSVP. Come on, look. Some of you blow off off those RSVPs. You know, you get the little birthday party things. Oh, yeah, you, you blow it off, you know you can't blow off this RSVP. You've got to say, yes, I believe in Jesus as my Savior for the forgiveness of my sins to go to heaven, or you say, no, I don't believe in Jesus. And by the way, let me think about it. I'm not sure it is a no until it becomes a yes. And so that puts an urgency in our heart and spirit, and it puts an urgency in our heart and spirit for others as well as ourselves. Heaven's amazing. I, I can't wait to be there. Uh, true confessions, there's days, man, I'm sure you guys, there's days when I'm like, um, Lord, would you just get me off this rock? I don't know if I can take that one thing one more time. Or Man, I'm just really not having a good day. And I, would you, if Jesus, you're coming back. Today would be a great day. Please. We just have those days. But in the midst of our waiting, We've got work to do. because there's people that have RSVP'd know so far or I don't know. And we just gotta, gotta learn how to love them and serve them and share with them. And so I don't know what God wants you to walk away with today. I do believe part of it would be this. Heaven is a home for the future for those who are believers in Christ. And therefore, it's a hope for the present, whatever's going on. Strength for the day. And maybe you're sitting here and you're a follower of Christ and you just needed that refreshing reminder. Maybe you needed that stirring up of like, oh yeah, I would love to see that person there. And I'd love to see that person there. Because you know, there's, a, there's a phrase, we're going to be surprised in heaven. We'll be surprised who's there. How'd you make it in? <laughs> we'll be surprised who's not there. Where's so-and-so? Did, didn't they pastor the church I went to a long time ago? And we'll be surprised we're there because it's not based on works. It's not based on good things. It's just Jesus, just believing in Jesus and what he's provided and RSVPing with a yes. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, what, a, what an inadequate task to try to wrap our minds around heaven and the time we had. But, Lord, I pray that you took the little bit that we did and you just spark a fire. God, you spark hope. Lord, there are people in this room, there's people watching online that need hope. God, would they turn to you? Would they turn to your promise of heaven for those who believe in you and trust in Christ? So God, uh, for those of us who believe, we say we can't wait. <laughs> God, we look forward to our future home. Help us be faithful until we get there. And Lord, for those here in this room that are searching, Lord God, I pray that you just help answer questions. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that today's the day they realize they need to RSVP with ES, help them to do that. And that's you today. That's you today. You can simply just talk to God in this moment. You can say, God, I believe in you. <laughs> I believe in your heaven. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way I'm going to heaven apart from him. So thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for raising from the grave. I want to believe right here, right now. And follow Jesus. You can simply do that or something like that and enter into that relationship and RSVP with a yes to Christ. God, for the rest of us, stir in us a passion and a burden for those who don't know you. Not a selfish hope only, Lord. We've got a selfless hope for those who don't know you. That they would hear about this beautiful, amazing place and desire to be there. And desire to be with you. We ask that in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Hey, a couple things for you. One, if, if you make the decision today to follow Christ, uh, in, your, in, your, in the seat in front of you is a little response card. You can just say, I'm choosing to follow Christ today. Drop that in the baskets. We're about to pass around. If you're watching online, you can let us know. Connect at CBC Online. Here's the other thing. Some of you are like, I want to know more about heaven. Like, give me some more details. Uh, if you go online to our website, there's a study guide that we put out every week that goes with the message. And that study guide has some questions about heaven, has some more verses about heaven. And also at the bottom of that sheet, uh, there's just some links, books, chapters, articles that we recommend that if you want to spend some time marinating in your study of heaven, pick up one of those and you can find out more. But until then, man, be excited about your future home and let it give you a hope for today. Amen?